Dan Cosgrove, reporting for John Lothian News. I'm talking with NASDAQ's Salim Dayar, who's part of the Toronto-based research team that covers listed cannabis companies, many of which trade on NASDAQ. We spoke with Salim last quarter about cannabis-related stock performance, and today we'll get an update on current conditions. Welcome. Thanks, Suzanne. It's good to be back. Let's talk a bit about the performance of the overall cannabis sector in the second quarter. The Selective North American Marijuana Benchmark was up nearly 22%, outperforming the S&P 500, which was up just over 18% in the quarter. So why do you think that happened? What, what went on? Cannabis names broadly outperformed their market benchmarks over the second quarter of 2020, coming in second uh, only essentially to to technology shares. Um, And just looking at this uh, outperformance, I think the drivers would have been the result of a series of factors that I'm sure your listeners may already be familiar with. The first was the designation of cannabis companies as essential during the implementation of lockdown restrictions. And as you may recall, when we last spoke, this development actually would have helped insulate cannabis companies to a certain extent from the economic impacts of COVID lockdown measures, which were felt by other companies. Um, The second, and this has been a recurring theme that we've seen um, well through the COVID sell-off, is a consistent upward trend in cannabis sales. And the third involves a general improvement in risk appetite amid the record stimulus unloaded by major central banks. All of these factors would have been supportive to cannabis players, which, as you may recall, were very hard hit during that first quarter of 2020 amid the the COVID-driven volatility. In terms of where we saw those gains concentrated, there certainly would have been um, a fair degree of concentration towards U.S. players, while their Canadian counterparts have broadly weighed on the index. Was that because of stronger sales in the U.S. versus Canada, or were there other factors at play here? I mean, that's definitely kind of one factor. Um, State-level sales, I think, in the U.S. is definitely going to be an important piece of the pie, so to speak. I know Colorado and Illinois have, for instance, recently set records for monthly sales. Ohio is actually in the mix as well. And if we take a step back, the U.S. cannabis market, by some figures, is expecting to see sales eclipse $15 billion by the end of 2020. And that represents about 40% in year-over-year growth. So essentially, demand for product is high and, as far as we can tell, shows little signs of abating. U.S. players also um, have broadly outperformed their Canadian counterparts from an earnings perspective, and these names are generally viewed as having greater balance sheet strength. If we couple this with a continued progression along the legalization path with states like Arizona, New Jersey, South Dakota, and Montana voting on legalization come November, as well as we consider uh, those kind of strong earnings, which came in better than expected, we can see that this adds a lot of uh, support to the space. Another thing, looking at your quarterly analysis, it appears hedge funds were buyers this time around. Is it fair to say that that's a possible reversal of positions established in the first quarter, or is it something else? Well, I mean, the short answer is yes. I mean, hedge funds were, as you, uh, as we discussed um, when we last spoke, were top sellers in the first quarter of 2020. And uh, we definitely have seen this trend reverse in the second quarter of the year as hedge funds essentially re-entered cannabis names. 
This isn't too surprising given what we know about hedge funds and their overall involvement across the cannabis space. They tend to be quite prominent, coupled with retail players, and will drive a lot of the activity that we see uh, among cannabis names. And so for some context, hedge funds and retail assets comprise a total of about 92% uh, of the total assets just looking uh, across our current cannabis clients. I do think what's really interesting here, or what rather what's a really interesting story is that if we take a closer look at the data, at non-index buying in particular in the 500 million plus market cap bucket, for instance, we do see some concentrated purchases across select names with those candidates, those candidates for purchasing, essentially uh, comprising of U.S. players. And to us, that's an indication that investors, if they haven't already, um, have begun picking winners or losers, right? And I, this finding actually aligns with the overall favorability that we tend to see on the part of investors towards U.S. names. And it actually also helps explain the relative outperformance of U.S. players as well. Looking at those U.S. names, are there some stocks in particular that stand out? Well, I think when we look at those um, U.S. names, I think the large um, multi-state operators have been um, very strong candidates that have received a lot of favorability uh, uh, among investors. We routinely hear investors uh, espouse their uh, their focus on multi-state operators and that demand from an investor perspective is actually quite substantial. Um, so much so that we've actually seen the launch of U.S. specific investment vehicles designed to provide exposure to such players. Advisor shares actually um, recently launched a, a U.S. specific cannabis investment vehicle um, probably a few weeks ago, if memory serves, and its top positions will unsurprisingly be very concentrated across those large multi-state operators. Uh, we've also seen some significant capital raises from those same players, the fact that really underscores continued investment and continued favorability across the space. You mentioned a minute ago retail interest. Is that mainly related to ETFs? Uh, the simple answer uh, is no. So. To take a step back a bit, we, we do see pronounced retail participation uh, in individual can, can, uh, cannabis stocks as well. When we last spoke, I, I touched on a general surge that we've seen in retail participation in the broader markets that has extended to individual stocks writ large. And of course, given the overall pronounced retail footprint that we tend to see across cannabis names, that trend will be magnified when it comes to the sector. If we look at the percentage of assets uh, retail players typically control, just looking across those cannabis clients that we oversee, it's north of 75%. And there's actually been a recent uptick in that number. Um, I think as the space grows or as it continues to evolve, that retail footprint will steadily wane, making room for more institutional players. And we've actually seen some evidence of this with the overall institutional footprint across our cannabis clients. Um, actually inching higher, albeit by one or two percentage points over the, over the past few months. That's pretty interesting. So institutions yeah. are starting to get interested, basically. Exactly. Also looking at your report for the second quarter, it appears short position against an ETF, the Horizons Marijuana Life Science Index, fell just at just below 2.6 million shares. Is that right? Uh, yep, that's correct. 
So it had been 4.3 million shares in terms of short position. So bearish mm -hmm. bets against the ETFs are now at their lowest level since September 2019. So mm -hmm. just to clarify, is that ETF based on the on that other index that we were talking about a minute ago? It's the last of North yes. American Marijuana Index. Yes, that, that, that's correct. So the um, Horizons North American uh, Life Sciences Index, which I know is definitely a mouthful, um, is, uh, is based on the Selective uh, North American um, Marijuana Index. And so the, the, the underlying ETF, which is um, kind of where you're referencing that short position, will track that benchmark. Right. And that trades in Canada and the U.S.? Yeah, it's a it's a Canadian listed um, ETF, and uh, and as you mentioned, um, it has seen kind of shorts con consistently trend lower. You you noted shorts are at their lowest since around September 2019. Short interest as a percentage of the ETF shares outstanding also sit at its lowest level in um, uh, in over a year. But um, I think what's kind of a, maybe a useful perspective here is maybe a good way to view this data is to help put it in context with kind of what the other de data sets are saying, right? And so to recap some of what we've been um, talking about, um, cannabis names have one, trended higher, uh, and buying actually points to uh, institutional interest, albeit across select names. Um, if we take this in consideration with that consistent decline in shorts, um, we begin to see that of the assets that have actually returned to the cannabis space since the first quarter of 2020 sell-off, most of these have actually been long-term in nature. And I think this is quite supportive of the space overall. I, I would expect us to see more long-term assets be put to work, particularly in those U.S. names, given what we've witnessed in terms of uh, investor positioning, given what we've witnessed in terms of where that institutional buying has been uh, concentrated, particularly as the legalization discussions continue to progress at a state level. Right. And so I think the key takeaway here is that um, as the cannabis sector continues to evolve, those long term institutional assets will likely see some continued uh, concentration across U.S. names, assuming that um, the current trends that we're seeing uh, remain static. That's run mostly in the ETF sector or is there some strategic shorting done in individual components? Is that possible? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's difficult to, to opine on what the, specific, what the specific strategies that investment managers will employ when it comes uh, to shorting. They'll typically keep that close to their chest. But there is um, a greater, greater concentration or greater prevalence of shorting across, um, uh, across Canada, across the, the kind of the Canadian dual listed names. Uh, and we've typically seen uh, a lot of in, uh, investment managers essentially go long U.S. players while shorting their Canadian counterparts. And so I guess that's the kind of strategic component there. But outside of any uh, additional strategic reason or strategic insight into kind of what would be driving that short activity, that's typically kept quite close to the chest of the investment manager. Also looking at a comparison of the Canadian market versus the U.S. market, the August NASDAQ report talked about changes in the Canadian medical marijuana market, which you note is a focus of many Canadian growers and producers. So registration of medical users was down earlier this year, and also the legal and illegal recreational markets are competitive. How, but you also said 
medical usage appears to be relatively consistent. So can you explain this a little bit? How is this shift happening between the two markets, from medical to recreational? For sure. So I guess starting with that, I mean, you, you, you do make a valid point. Registration of medical users has seen a decline. Um, that will likely be the result of a few factors, including a growth in the recreational retail footprint, uh, as well as a more diverse product mix in the, in the recreational channel. So I think those kind of structural characteristics and the overall growth that we see uh, within the recreational side has helped, or rather taken away, uh, kind of those medical users. Um, if we kind of jump a bit, I think, to the, uh, to the illegal market, um, which you kind of mentioned uh, as being a challenge uh, that needs to be addressed, um, I do think that we've definitely been chipping away at this, uh, particularly in Canada. There's some evidence, um, at least, that we've made inroads here um, at the share of the overall cannabis market that is controlled by illicit players. In August, for instance, StatsCan data would have revealed that spending on legal cannabis in the second quarter of 2020 um, actually outpaced the illicit market for the first time ever. And it, I mean, it is worth noting that it still accounts for a touch over 50% of all marijuana-related spending in the country. But I do think this is evidence that one of the biggest competitive pressures against the industry, namely the prevalence of the illicit market, is really beginning to wane. Um, I think three important pieces of the puzzle here that will likely determine the extent to which this trend continues to progress um, will be the continued build out of retail locations, um, price, um, price differential, and product variability. And of course, I think there are lessons to be uh, learned rather for the U.S. market. These factors are definitely going to be important for U.S. players as well. Yes, that's what I was going to ask you about, if there are lessons here for the U.S. market, because we're going through... Uh, early version of this right now in the U.S. Exactly. What about uh, regulation or legal issues under consideration in Canada? Is there anything that has significant potential for market changes or disruptions? Yeah, so, I mean, one thing to note is that the Canadian kind of cannabis sector is still quite new, right? Legalization has really only existed for about um, for about two years or so. And in, in terms of any kind of market disruption, in terms of the policy framework, the focus, I think, is first getting the policy framework in an appropriate position that is really supportive of cannabis names. And so on a related note, cannabis regulation has really focused on amending the previous lottery system of allocated retail licenses to a more traditional application and review model. This, of course, I think is going to be quite important in increasing the overall retail footprint of cannabis players, while at the same time taking away that market share that we noted earlier from the, from the illicit space. And so I think if we're looking at kind of uh, market disruption, attacking the illicit, um, the illicit share or the illicit black market, I think that needs, that needs to be a primary area of focus. So the goal then is to basically capture the market in a more holistic way or what would be the goal? Yeah, so so the goal, I mean, the goal first and foremost, I think, is to, to take away market share from the from the from the black market. Um, once that can really be uh, addressed and once the appropriate policy framework is kind of up to speed in addressing that meaningfully, I, I then think the, the cannabis regulatory framework can be more forward-looking and focus on kind of more disruptive changes. But at the moment, any form of disruption needs to quite, quite literally disrupt the illicit market first, right? 
because that's going to be the biggest competitive pressure to the illegal cannabis market. Um, and it still, it still maintains a pretty sizable foothold, right? I mean, it still has a touch of over 50% uh, of all marijuana-related spending in, uh, in the country. So it's still quite significant. So the lottery system now that you have in Canada is that, that there, it will take only a limited number of participants, or how does that work exactly? So that would have been the case previously, where where the lottery system would have been quite limited in the amount of licenses that it would have allocated. Um, that system has since been simplified. And so the focus is now on a basic application and, uh, and review model and an issuance of license, licenses appropriately. That's going to be really interesting here in the U.S. and in Illinois in particular, where we're having some issues getting licenses out and we're using a lottery, so that'll be, we'll be watching you definitely to see what happens. Absolutely. Anything else you'd like to add here? I think one of the key takeaways, and I know that, that the, the first half of 2020 has been a whirlwind for many of us, right? We've seen an incredible amount of uh, volatility, unprecedented market movements. We're kind of living in unprecedented times. I know it sounds like a bit of a platitude. But I think as we kind of uh, look forward, I think the long-term view for the cannabis space is quite favorable, um, especially towards U.S. names as we continue to see progression across uh, uh, on, the legalization, uh, on the legalization path with those kind of um, major states voting for legalization in November. And so I'm actually quite, quite optimistic um, of the space um, based off of the trends that we're, that we're seeing as well, just looking at um, institutional activity, looking at asset flows and uh, looking at just short interest, it is quite, there is some good evidence to indicate that some long-term institutional assets are beginning to, to, to jump into the mix as the sector continues to evolve and mature. Thank you so much, Celine. Thank you for your insights. No worries. Thank you so much, Suzanne. This is Suzanne Cosgrove reporting for John Lothian News.